Greyhound to trap one. Over. downloading the Chat One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Denise. And I'm Sophie. Thank you very much for joining me. This week on the podcast, the Doctor, Susan, Ian and Barbara go on a caravanning holiday, but the heating's off, there's no water, and some of the fellow caravanners aren't too friendly either. So we're celebrating the vinyl release of this story. Uh, it's only the fourth ever Doctor Who story, and the earliest one that is missing from the archives. Sophie, this is your favourite era. Is this story quite high up on your wish list of stories to be found? It is. Um, It's funny, actually, because it's missing, it's not actually one I know much about. So for the podcast, I've had to delve back into it, as it were. I think when I first started getting into the era, I read the Target novel, which was about five years ago, and then didn't read it again. Um, So to be asked to look at Moco Polo for this podcast was really fun because it was like oh I have not rediscovered this since so I thought it'd be really good to rediscover it and talk about it um, but yeah I mean anything of Ian and Barbara in is always a massive delight to me so it was really nice to jump back in and discover this historical uh, story almost brand new really which has been fun. Cool. How about you, Denise? Um, where does this rank in your uh, kind of wish list of, uh, of missing stories? Um, well, you know, one of the things about Marco Polo is apparently the sets and the costumes were absolutely glorious. Mm-hmm. And if they did find it again, it would just be in black and white. So it's on my wish list for a coloured animated version but perhaps rather than the sort of muted pastel shades that they've been doing for um, for the Troughton stories, perhaps really do it in Wizard of Oz style, absolute glorious Technicolor. That is my wish list for Marco Polo. It's now my wish list for Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want much, do I? But I no. might as well say what I want to. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Dream big. Oh. But uh, I think it's um, it's part of it for me I, is is wanting it back so badly is that it's because it's the earliest missing one. It's the first gap on a chronological rewatch. Um, the three stories either side of it still exist, so it would be it would make such a nice unbroken run if we had it. Um, but like you say, it just looks so good as well. The um, we're looking at there's a lot of on set color photos for this one because it was the first time that the Radio Times did a. Um, a big spread on it, so um, a photographer went along and took loads of uh, really good quality colour photos, um, which obviously have been used uh, for some of the reconstructions, and, and we've seen lots in um, like the Complete History and Doctor Who magazine and, and things like that. It, one of the things for me about it is it's obviously a very, very important story in the first season when you think about how the characters really get to know each other and really settle down and are very, very comfortable with each other they all know exactly where they're coming from by this point but they're still bonding some more and from that point of view I think it's a an absolute shame I mean I've got deep love for the Keynes of Marinus because I've got very very fond memories of reading the novelization and getting absolutely gripped by it but I would swap it for Marco Polo in a heartbeat yeah gosh uh well yeah well with 
again because of the gap you can you can really tell like the base was saying the gap between the edge of destruction and the keys and mariners in terms of their camaraderie is obvious you can tell that they've spent weeks on an adventure that you haven't seen compared to other serials where the relationships aren't as the most important thing like don't get me wrong doctor who is all about the relationships with with the cast like that's all it ever is but because this was the first series because this was establishing doctor who establishing what it was and they didn't really know what it was even now at that time to show the doctor develop in that way because obviously at that time if you look at when ian and barbara when susan leaves compared to when they started the relationship is so different so having those weeks of of story and adventure and danger all missing is very frustrating personally for me as someone who adores these characters and their interactions definitely what absolutely one, one really interesting thing i read about this one which I, I didn't know before i was looking into it for this is that walt disney films approached the bbc after this was broadcast about adapting it into a movie uh you know before the uh, amicus came along and, and made the the dalek movies um that you know the idea was there right from right from the off that you know these stories were you know kind of movie worthy ideas uh, and this one could have been this one could have been the first one um and it kind of makes me think god if we had the movie of it and not the not the original episode uh, same with the dalek ones like we're lucky that we've got both versions but it made me wonder how you'd um how the movies would be considered now if we didn't have the daleks and the dalek invasion of earth you know i think there would be maybe a bit more um i mean you know they're, they're beloved but maybe more considered you know part of the canon or something like that mm. that'd be an interesting take on that but yeah, mm. i was wondering would that be sort of disney animation or would it be a real life adventure I'm trying to imagine susan as a disney princess i'm not sure because <laughs> <laughs> well, it's around that time i believe if it is around that time then the the Disney kind of studios were very into their kind of uh, live action stuff. So I think it would have probably been in live action. But like you were saying about the Wizard of Oz colours, something that I love about the Cushing films is the colours. And now I just want Marco Polo to be done as a Peter Cushing film. Thanks, thanks, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to have dreams about Wizard of Oz, Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> they leave the TARDIS and everything's in colour. So no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be so cool. Mm. Yeah, Pete, Pete's cushion one would have been would have been fantastic. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's always interesting those kind of little um, uh, roads not travelled, isn't it? When you uh, when you read about the history of Doctor, I think. So the other thing I was thinking, um, kind of early on, this I say it's so early uh, in Doctor Who. Um, and they didn't know what it was yet. The viewer didn't know what it was, and it hadn't settled into the pattern yet of alternating historical and science fiction stories. Um, and it occurred to me if you're watching this, you know, in order in the '60s as broadcast, or even if you were a viewer who's coming to the show having watched the 21st century series and not seen much of the classic series, you know, where there's no pure historicals you would be expecting kind of monsters and aliens to turn up. And it, it does sort of play with that a little bit, doesn't it? When they first land and Barbara finds the big footprint um, and she describes seeing a creature, it's like it's leading you to think, well, they're in the Himalayas. It must be the abominable snowmen. 
Uh, and then in the second episode, the, the, about the singing sands, when there's those really uh, unearthly voices that they can hear, which is just an effect of the sandstorm. Again, it would make maybe a modern viewer think, oh, this is the aliens turning up now, trying to kind of lure them out or something. It's creepy. <laughs> yes, that was a really good effect, actually, for the um, sandstorm. And yes, a little bit of misdirection, why ever not? Um, I mean, the had to wait a few more years before we actually did see any Yeti, but uh, the thought was there. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, I like the... Because um, I, I really like pure historicals a lot more than historicals of aliens. And um, personally, because I find history might as well be alien to the 21st century audience. Like, if you're playing it in a historical fashion, um, I think you can make the alien aspect actually just be the human aspect of being unable to understand their way of life, their, how they're living, all that sort of stuff. And that's why I, I really enjoy the, um, the first doctor adventures by big finish, how they kind of, again, they kind of treat historicals in, the, in that way. Like you are on an alien planet. It's just your planet a cu- quite a few years before you're around. Um, so personally I'm a big fan of the historicals um but again I think a 21st century audience member or at least someone coming new to the show without much information might get a bit kind of confused and because of obviously what it has become um but I think like as far as I remember like Chibnall has kind of dialed down on the alien aspect when it comes to the historicals like like the Demons of Punjab and Rosa of Yes, they do have that sci-fi element to them, but then the, his, the history is the most important part of the story, where I think, particularly with the Moffat era and the Russell Davis era, they did like to, to actually like, no, aliens are here, aliens are here, mm-hmm. and they're affecting everything, we must fix it. <laughs> like, a very straightforward, this is not good uh, kind of thing, where personally, I... I I feel like the uh, the softly softly approach for the historicals is more my 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 way of thinking. Yeah, I remember watching the Witchfinders, and I think we're about quite a way into that before that sort of mud tentacle appears. Uh, and I was thinking this is going to be a pure historical. I was getting really excited about it, um, and then and then that sort of appears. But but something that extreme as well in history obviously would would work still as a really exciting story without the um, without the aliens in it. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I, I do enjoy the ones with aliens in, mm. but my my personal preference. If you're going to ask me which would I prefer, I'd prefer a historical that really plays on how alien it is for us as an audience to come across this way of life or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Yes, I mean, it's more difficult now, of course, because one of the things with the early Doctor stories, well, all of the classic series pretty much, was the Doctor could never guarantee where they were going to land and um, didn't really control the destination at all. So they couldn't just take off and say, oh, okay, we're just caught up in the trail of history here. We can just take off again and go on to the next story. They have to play it all out. So um, whereas now, of course... They need to have something to fix. Otherwise, why don't they just leave? Yeah, and I think mm. in some ways the, the danger here feels more kind of 
immediate, doesn't it, than if it was aliens. Um, so some quite brutal stuff, like when the uh, when the the bandits are, are playing dice to decide who's going to kill Barbara. That's um, you know that that's kind of a more uh, scary threat in a way, isn't it, than than a laser gun or something like that? It's uh, it, it packs quite a punch. Well, that. yes. I mean, set in the times when life was known to be short and brutal, and um, death was a very very normal um like with the aztecs for example where sacrifice was something that you actually wanted for yourself mm. um when you put when they're put into those situations where um life is cheap where they mean absolutely nothing to the people then yes it's uh I think I'm losing my train of thought a little bit here, sorry. But um, yes, yes, there is a real a real danger, a real risk, and you do often see that in the historicals. Like in the Crusades, there's a very real chance that Barbara will be raped and tortured, and that is implied. But mm. So the younger viewers don't get it, but certainly the adults would have, looked, would have seen what was going on. And the same with the Romans. The Romans, like... Very much so. Barbara's just like, do you know what they do to their slaves? And Ian's like, oh, oh, right, okay, we need to escape now. <laughs> it's, the only, it's the only time I can actually laugh at that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's because it's kind of this this very serious situation and Barbara's like, yeah, uh, remember? Remember? You were taught history too at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so... No, I love the historicals for that. The the, the danger, the, the the feeling that you are, particularly with Hartnell's doctors, that you kind of don't know if he can even fix the TARDIS when he goes wrong. So the fact that he suddenly goes, oh, no, I know how to fix this. You're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you're actually going to fly. Okay. It's but it'll take fly. me two weeks to make the new circuit. <laughs> I guess uh, at this point gosh. as well in the series, you've got the you know, all the kind of fluid link shenanigans in the Daleks, then the the broken mm. spring in the in the next story uh, of the return switch, um, and then the circuit kind of blowing in this one as well. It's um, it's kind of very unreliable vehicle at this point, isn't it? Well, there's a lot of solid-state stuff, isn't it? So, <laughs> yes. Uh, it occurred to me it's kind of um, a bit of an inversion of the uh, of the edge of destruction, this as well, isn't it? Where in that one they're trapped inside the ship um, and they're all in danger. And then at the beginning of this one they're trapped outside the ship and, uh, the, you know, the danger is then from from the elements outside. So as um, it's a nice sort of... Uh, kind of inversion of the previous story in that way. But it's true also that Barbara says that um, the TARDIS, their caravan, is their home and it's where they feel safe. And uh... Which is so cute. Yeah. <laughs> Such a sweet moment, actually. There's some li- really nice moments with um, Susan and Ping Cho as well, but then their relationship as the serial develops and getting to see Susan in a bit of a different way than perhaps you've seen her previously in relation to that like talking about Gallifrey and home and not being able to get back and I think that's one of the nice things about this story is there's there's kind of room for discussion and to grow particularly with Susan and even the doctor I'd say they actually get compared to Ian and Barbara who kind of they do a lot of stuff but it's very 
kind of to the line rescue or supportive where with Susan and the doctor, I think there's, there's a lot in this story for them to play with in terms of their characters and their developments. Yes. The doctor with, um, with the old Khan. Yes. yes. He's, like, those I, are absolutely so beautiful, aren't they? When they're playing gap backgammon and all the rest of it. Yes. Definitely. I mean, if you consider, so the very beginning of the story when Marco Polo is like, you can't have your caravan back and the Doctor is very angry and then Marco is very angry and then the Doctor just starts to laugh hysterically because he's like, this is stupid, I don't know what to do about this situation, I'm just going <laughs> to laugh about it. And then you get to the very end of the serial, basically, where Kublai Khan and him have their, their kind of backgammon face-off and the Doctor's like, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> like, comparatively, this is like, you know, weeks between these events, and the doctor's like, it's fine. But again, lots has happened in terms of the times now being fixed to now them potentially being able to get in to trying to win Marco to their side and all this stuff all going on at the same time. So I, I find it a really good episode. Really, or sorry, good serial because episode would suggest it's one story. So it is a story told over several parts. Um, yeah, it's good. I really, really like it. I think some really interesting symmetry, like you say there, because you've got Susan and Ping Cho, the Doctor and Kublai Khan, and then Ian and Barbara and Marco Polo, where they've all got the sort of similarities. And Ian and Barbara and Marco Polo, they're, you know, the ones who want to get home but can't um, because of mm-hmm. these older men, basically. They, um, you know, the, Ian and Barbara can't get home because the Doctor can't control the TARDIS. And Marco Polo can't go back to Venice because Kublai Khan won't release him from his service. Um, and they're the kind of the reasonable voices in it, um, I think, Polo and Ian and Barbara, where the Doctor, like you say, he's hysterical and then he's sulking and then um, he just like can't be bothered to explain condensation to Marco Polo, can he, without just sort of getting really angry. So <laughs> leaves it to Ian to, to just calmly explain it. Um, he's, um, he's, he's sort of, like you say, a bit, bit unpredictable here. Um, and it's it's... This sort of uh, as the adults, it's those three that sort of generally sort things out. Um, but obviously, then there's Tigana, who's the, the fly in the ointment there. Oh, definitely. Uh, Tigana is a really nasty piece of work as well, poisoning their water and everything else that he gets up to. Um, you don't like him from the start. Like, I think even the doctor says something along the lines of, for, you know, a ambassador of peace he's quite bloodthirsty yes. <laughs> like almost the exact line and it's just like hmm there's a hint there somewhere there's a hint uh, yeah he's a warlord hmm yeah. it doesn't have many positive connotations to the to the modern viewer does it the word warlord so when Marco Polo says like how could you not trust the warlord to Ghana you think because he's a warlord <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes, nobody wants to grow up to be a warlord. No, time lord, yes, warlord. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> I think uh, we talked about the massacre on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and and the way that the Queen Mother in that story is is scarier and more menacing than, than a lot of Doctor Who monsters. And I think it's the same writer here, John Lucarotti, does a similar thing with Tagana, doesn't he, where that sort of thing of, of humans just fairly callously plotting to kill other people is 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 more chilling uh than you know so daleks you know want to invade the planet or something a bit more kind of abstract like that um when they first meet them and he just says well they're just demons kill them <laughs> it's like 
that's uh, that's a pretty callous attitude. And then from that point on, he's just he's, he's itching to kill them at any point. Yes, he's a he's a nasty piece of work. I think my favourite moment with Tagana is when he rides off to the um, oasis. Yeah, and then he's like, "Here's your water, Marco Polo." He's <laughs> <laughs> and so happy. But I do actually feel actually quite worried about them at that because I, I I could not remember. When I when I rediscovered this story, I did not remember what I read the first time, so it was really like coming into it new. And Tagana like poisoning their water and being like, "Oh, I'll go forward and get water." I was like, "Don't trust him! Don't trust him!" <laughs> Literally, any time Tagana said anything to Marco, I was in in my head going, "Don't do it! Don't trust him! Don't trust!" Him. Like every time, so I trust Ian. He's trying. Trust Ian. <laughs> Like every single time, um, so yeah, I'm I'm glad Tagana ended up getting what he deserved <laughs> in the end. Again, yes, it, obviously, with it being a missing story, we don't know how much actual because his performance it sounds quite understated on the audio. Mm. I don't know how much um, scenery chewing he would actually have done. And some of some of the early villains, particularly, they're quite um, Shakespearean sometimes, aren't they? Yes, like the Aztecs and mm. um, uh, Catoxel. He's yes, uh, he's very yeah. good. <laughs> yes, he's full on Richard the Third, isn't he? But. Mm. Uh, Yes, I mean, the sort of cool menace in the voice, I think, is very effective for Tigana. Yes, very, very, very good. I was surprised at how young he sounds as well. He doesn't sound... He sounds like he's in his 30s or something. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. So, Darren Nesbitt, who plays um, Tigana... Oh, is it Darren Nesbitt? Yeah. Okay, I didn't realise that. Yeah. Yes, he, he he's the one. Um, so if, you've seen, the if you've seen The Prisoner, he was in The Prisoner. Uh, he was he was number two for an episode. Um, bleached blonde hair looks a bit like a Thunderbird's puppet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that kindly. <laughs> okay, well, he was born in 1935. So by the time he's doing Tagana, he's at least in his 30s or late 30s. Yeah. Um, so it was a young actor, and I think yeah, it's. Um, I hadn't I hadn't looked at the cast list. I hadn't realised, but uh, yeah, that makes sense. I haven't seen that episode of The Prisoner, but I believe by a strange quirk, um, Mark Eden, uh, who plays Marco Polo, is also in it, and the actor who plays Kubla Khan. Um, they're all um, they're all reunited for that uh, for that episode of The Prisoner. Yes, and I know that to be true because it was a question on the Quiz of Asalon Doctor Who quiz of which which TV series combines these three actors together. Uh, <laughs> wow. It was basically the list yeah. of uh, The Prisoner and then that episode of Doctor Who. So that was a really exciting quiz because I was like, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. It was a kind of QI quiz, um, but for Doctor Who things. So you, you were likely to get it wrong, but it was still quite fun to try anyway. Um, but yeah, so... Yes, definitely Mark Eden and Kubakai, Kubakan, sorry, and um, Darren Nesbitt all in one episode of The Prisoner. It's very cool. It's the only other thing I know Mark Eden from is, um, didn't he get run over by a tram in Blackpool when he was in Coronation Street? Yes, I was going to say many that. I, I didn't realise it yes. was the same guy until I, I was looking at his Wikipedia page yesterday 
Um, and that would, I'd run a bit about nine or 10, I think when that was on, but it was huge at the time. I remember my mum watching it and, um, and being really shocked when he got hit by the tram. He's chasing, is it Rita who's still in it? I think. Yeah, I think it was Rita. Yeah. I think I went through a phase in the early nineties of watching Coronation Street as well. Yes. This was 1989, apparently that, uh, that he was hit by the tram. Okay. Uh, and then Mark Eden also um, stars in An Adventure in Space and Time, I think is the uh, commissioning, I'm not sure what the job title is, uh, commission editor, somebody at the BBC who, who nearly cancelled it anyway um, after um, Edge of Destruction and then, and then um, decided to continue it. Oh, that's cool. That's a nice little um, cameo. So it's interesting, I think, man, Marco Polo, the way they give him the, the narration on the story as well, it makes him, for a guest character, um, you get much more insight to him than, than you usually would. And um, I think it, it makes you sort of unusually sympathetic to him uh, in the way that even though he's stolen the TARDIS, you do sort of understand uh, Ian's guilt when uh, when they keep getting caught trying to uh, trying to steal the key or, or sneak back into it, um, and it's mm. I think it's so carefully so carefully and nicely worked out like that as well. The way, like you say, you just want Marco Polo to believe Ian, but because he keeps getting caught out with these things and like lying about where mm. he got the key from, you can totally understand why Marco Polo doesn't, because unfortunately he never catches to gather out at all. <laughs> yes, and then Ian does actually tell Marco Polo the truth about um, why he needs that particular caravan, why a lift to Venice isn't really going to cut it you know, to, <laughs> for the purposes of getting them home. And um, and he's fascinated by the idea, but he can't believe it. I think I remember rightly because I'm... Um... One of the things I watched as well is, and I highly recommend it to both of you and anyone listening, um, Josh Snares did a documentary on uh, the making of Marco Polo. Um, so Josh Snares is a Twitter, um, lovely Twitter person who is does lots of documentaries and videos on YouTube about Doctor Who. Some are funny and some are a lot more serious, and this is one of those more serious ones, um, where he just discusses just the production in general. As an example, he discusses that... The, that whole moment with Ian saying he was from the future was originally cut and then added back in. So that's really interesting because Warris can't remember why that was, what the decision was to put it back in. Like no one can really remember why it was put back in, but it was certainly cut originally and then it was definitely recorded. So whether on the day there was a miscommunication, they had the wrong script or it was decided last minute to add add it back in because of uh, length of time that they had left in terms of like the footage running out. It was really interesting because um, also... Well, uh, there's Marco Polo has a speech towards the end, doesn't he, where he's pondering whether they really are out in time and space. Yeah, so maybe they realised, oh, wait, we've got to make sure this speech works. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, uh, or or maybe that's why they added the speech at the end. Maybe maybe the speech was changed. You know, it, it's really interesting how that might work because I know there was a lot of uh, rewrites as it yeah. went on. Because um, again, this documentary let me know that William Russell uh, complained. <laughs> uh, I think it was for episode four. I think he uh, by this point, him and his agent wrote a letter um, to kind of say 
there's lots of rewrites and lots of things to learn with not a lot of time. So can we not do that? And also, I think William Russell wrote, because um, they were on the front cover of the Radio Times magazine, or rather they, Doctor Who was, but it had, I believe it was Tagana and Marco Polo on the front cover, but not the main characters. Ooh, that's uh, and I think, never good. I think Russ was a bit like, um, we're the main cast, like, why aren't we on it? And I think they got a uh, kind of letter back, kind of politely like apologizing and saying that they the radio times chose the image they did and, and stuff like that but it, again it's a really interesting documentary it's about half an hour but you if you really like this story it goes into complete and utter depth um about all the information you could possibly want to know about the recording when what day how long like anything they have on the do- on marco polo at all is in this documentary and i really highly recommend it but, um, Absolutely no idea these things even existed. <laughs> what have I been doing with my time? <laughs> I'll find out and put a link into the show notes. Um, yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, yeah, the Radio it's, Times thing, I was reading about that in the Complete History. Um, Hartnell was the only one of the, the TARDIS crew, um, but with, with the two guest characters. It's something that kind of happens a bit, um, happens quite a lot, <laughs> by the sound of it. Um, where, when new actors kind of turn up, not so much just a William Russell, but in just terms of when there's main cast and then new kind of uh, more famous cast coming in, particularly the classic era, I think there was a lot, usually a lot of worry of, oh no, are they going to replace me as the companion now if they're nicer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know I know Peter Purvis said um, he felt like that when he was on um, Dark's Master Plan. He was suddenly getting very, very worried that that was the reason why Nicholas Courtney was hired because that's that's what happened to Maureen O'Brien or at least that's what seemed to happen so he was like what's gonna happen (laughs) what's gonna so you know I wouldn't be surprised if you know there was some kind of trepidation of oh wait they brought in this you know this other actor who's very good and obviously we like him but is this suddenly are they gonna join us are we gonna lose our lines are we gonna lose our jobs because obviously TV was such a different thing back then. It's quite interesting. My chronological watch at the moment is um, I'm coming towards the end of the Troutons. And um, it's interesting when you have the end credits that frequently the, um, I mean, the Doctor's always first billing, of course, but then the companions are often quite a long way down the cast list mm. after, the, after the guests for, for that particular story. So... Um, I mean, it wasn't set in stone. It wasn't like it is now, where it's definitely contractual that the companions come after the Doctor in the cast list, and that's just how it is. You know, it's uh, it was a different deal then, I suppose. It was a lot more precarious and tenuous, and mm. particularly with it, they didn't know if the story was going to last. There's that little scene in um, An Adventure in Space and Time, isn't there, when they're they're on the set and um, Carol Ann Ford is saying how she wants to buy the um, costume that she's wearing and William Hartnell tells her that she should be saving her money. And, uh, yeah. Precarious business, don't you know? <laughs> like, <that's laughs> it Carol Ann, yeah. Oh, I love Adventure in Space and Time. I'm going to have to watch that now again soon. Because they obviously in Adventure in Space and Time, they do do that. Again, it's that scene where they're all dressed in their Marco Polo outfit and it, it's so beautiful 
the colours are absolutely stunning. I cannot not be on this podcast and also agree again uh, how wonderful the colours are. Like, I feel so sorry for whoever was like is unable to kind of film that in colour. It's mm. so sad because <laughs> it looks so beautiful. Yeah, that must have been for the director to, to, to see all that and then think this is going to go out on black and white on, on what was a tiny TV screen in those days as well, wasn't it? That was the other mm-hmm. thing. And um, it would just be seen once and then lost forever. I mean, yes, gutting. Yeah, although Absolutely gut. this is the story that was sold the most uh, in the 60s, I think. So statistically, um, although it obviously hasn't worked out that way yet, statistically the, the most likely to be found. Um, so, fingers crossed that there's, there's still hope out there. It's mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad it is missing compared to all the other, like, like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, out of that whole first series, that's the only one that's missing. And if that was the one most sold, that still doesn't make any sense. It's just such a strange, such a strange concept. Yeah. Uh, yeah well maybe one day there will be an animation maybe maybe I'll I'll get on it I'll uh, I'll get get drawing speak to my contacts and be like uh, you know uh, (laughs) you know what we really need right now we need Marco Polo to be animated and then I I get killed Um, just because I personally looking at Marco Polo as someone who studied animation it's wonderful, and I think it could certainly be done, um, but it would be a hell of a lot more work than some of the other stories. Like, most of the ones that have been done so far have been bases under siege or in a place which, are, like, has a very set sort of look. Like, it's usually underground or within an environment that doesn't really change, if you look at Macra and Fury particularly. Mm. Um Faceless ones I've not watched yet, but I think it's a similar vibe because it's all set at Heathrow, I believe. So you Gatwick. Know, Gatwick, yeah. sorry. Same, same. It was an airport. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so it's all in one place where, obviously, we've discussed Marco Polo is weeks of travelling, which means mm-hmm. you're going to have lots of different sets. You can have lots of different characters. You can have lots of different uh, things to animate in, term, in that way. And seven parts is a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, this is very true. Although um, that the YouTube reconstruction that I watched, it was a few years back. I mean, a lot of the uh, narration from Marco Polo is accompanied by a map, mm. and of course, that uh, that is a little bit easier to deal with. Of course. Yes. Yes. So, much. who knows? Maybe, maybe, be lovely if it did. But my my heart tells me. That if it's going to be made, it'll be one of the last ones to be made. Mm. Well, I'll just have to live long enough, won't I? We all will. <laughs> we all but, but if they want any help with the colouring in, then you know, I've got some time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess because uh, I know the the way they sort of say the funding the model that works now for the for the animations is it, like BBC America puts some money in because they broadcast them and and things like that, don't they? Some of them get like cinema releases in different countries. So hopefully, uh, you know, if they um, the the ones that they make in between make enough money that uh, there'll be enough money to to, to put into this. Um, I guess a lot of it is set just in various It's, a, it's about a year well. ago, Mark, that uh, you and I were at Vorp together, and Sophie, we were there as well. 
I was at Vorp last year. Yeah. I, I had a tr- I had a stall upstairs at Vorp. Uh, I don't think I don't uh, think I met you there, but um, remember a lady with colourful hair. Was that you? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yes. I had pink hair at the time. Mm. Um, yes. <laughs> because um, Toby Haydock was saying that um, you know, obviously he's got a dream that they do de- that they do Blu-ray box sets of all of the series. Yes. And the first series, it's the only missing story. So you know they'd have to an- they could animate it and put it in a Blu-ray box set as well. So it could indeed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all tentacles, all all appendages, everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, really, what they my, my heart loves for um, a first series and second series blu-ray more than anything else in the world <laughs> but that's because it's me and i am on brand when i say i need ian and barbara on blu-ray so it's all fine <laughs> what they should really have done was when they were making an adventure in space and time and they had the sets and the costumes was was just remake it then okay wouldn't have taken that long surely <laughs> <laughs> don't don't tempt me with uh <laughs> it's too it's too good it's such a good idea. Why did no one think of it at the time? Um, yes. Very cool. But, technically speaking, at least recently, they did design the costumes and the sets. There would be, like, potentially blueprints or models or whatever of what they built. So it probably wouldn't be as difficult as it would have been starting from scratch. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> That's it. We're, we're getting desperate now, aren't we? For any, any, uh, <laughs> any possibility. <laughs> but on, on the plus side, though, I mean, if we've got the vinyl release of it now and um, we've obviously only heard it as audio or seen it as a reconstruction with telesnaps, but it works really well just as an audio story. If you haven't heard it, it rolls along beautifully. It it really does work incredibly well. I think the um, Marco Pono's journal adds to all of that. Yes, very much so. So, you know, it's it's a good enough story that it stands on its own without the pretty pictures. They would be a wonderful thing to have, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth listening to as it exists today because it definitely does. Yes, it's very good. And I think we've all we all um, sort of experienced it slightly differently. Um, I listened. Well, I, I just watched the uh, the recons this time. Um, but uh, Denise, you said you listened to the the CD with the link in narration from William Russell. I think. Um, well, I've got it on Audible on one of their compilations of missing episodes, and um, so yes, William Russell's narration. <coughs> And he's got a very strange way of saying courtyard. He says courtyard. <laughs> and it just sort of gets you every time. It's like courtyard. Well, I just love how William Russell speaks in general. Um, it's funny, I started listening to the Target novelization, which I did enjoy, but it felt quite long winded. Um, I did feel like it was going to take me a while to get through it and I had to keep pausing and stopping and that sort of thing. Um, So I was looking to see how else I could experience it and I was able to watch, um, again on YouTube, Josh Snares had also done uh, the first episode of 
uh, Marco Polo as a kind of loose reconstruction of animation. Um, I think it was just a test, but it was very good. And I was like, this is great. And then I ended up watching, I think I watched three episodes as the colorized loose cannon um, ones. And then the rest I listened to on Audible. So I kind of had a bit, um, a mix of all of them just to kind of give them all a go. I think the Target novel is very good. Um, and it's read by the lady who plays um, Ping Cho. And apparently it was the last thing she did before she passed away in um, 2018, I believe, or 2019. Um, so it is, if you're if you're into your target novel novelizations, uh, give it a listen to, because you've actually got Marco Polo's journal entries, I believe. But, yeah, I think so. I think they're in there. But if not, um, it is quite nice to have, like, I think the moment where Susan and Ping Cho are like, uh, laying down next to each other and they're like, are you asleep? Like, no. Like, that bit in the Target novel actually feels a lot more like kind of girly chatter where when I was watching the loose canon version, um, the audio kind of made that seem a bit more solemn. Like, Ping Cho didn't understand why like, <laughs> why wouldn't, would she, wouldn't she be sleeping or something like that. It's quite strange. Um, so it is always interesting to hear different takes on, on the same story. Uh, highly recommend having a having a play because I'd like to listen to the rest of the Target novel now and see how it turns out I think um, I did read the novelisation a long time ago but uh, it, I think all of my Target books are currently on their way to to, to here from my mum's house in in Reading so <laughs> they're they're on a boat or on a truck or something so <laughs> <laughs> have you got the full set I haven't got a full set because I think I stopped buying them when I was in my mid-teens. Mm-hmm. Didn't really buy any after that. I know that's terrible, but uh, I had quite a lot. I had most of most of them that had come out up until that point, I think. Mm. Wow. Very cool. <laughs> and then the other way of uh, experiencing the story, especially if you're short on time, is... On the uh, in the beginning box set, I think on the um, Edge of Destruction disc, there's a very truncated. I think I can't remember how long. It's only a twenty or thirty minutes recap of the whole story with um, with tele snaps and uh, and pictures on there as well. So uh, you can get a sense of, of what happens after the three full stories in in that box set as well. Uh, this is kind of what happens with the missing ones, isn't it? That there ends up being kind of multiple versions of the text um you know there's the the animations the the target books the uh the the recons and everything and then uh the ones that still exist it, it's much more set and there's something like shada which is just incomplete there's uh <laughs> there's loads of way of loads of ways of watching or listening to that one yes definitely i mean what will they do next with shada will it be uh... <laughs> hologram of tom baker in your bedroom i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but this is uh, apparently much like marco polo's um book that's an account of his travels um something that he uh, narrated to somebody that he was in prison with um although in this story we see him writing a journal um that's not something he, he really did or that not that we know of and um his, his book actually comes from narrating it to this uh, to this other writer. He's called Rustico or something like that. Um, and then it just got copied so many times, and there's there's loads and loads of different versions of it. So nobody knows quite which one is the original or the or the true version. 
Um, so yeah, it's interesting that the story, the Doctor Who story, Marco Polo, uh, now has that similar sort of thing where there's a few different versions of it uh, and ways of experiencing it as well. So it develops a sort of legendary status. I think there's only one other thing I think um, I learned, which was from uh, Josh Nares' documentary, which I thought was really interesting, um, which is because William Hartnell was ill one of the weeks of filming, they adapted um, a conversation with Barbara and Susan, so of it's being Susan and the Doctor. And it's when Susan and Barbara are discussing going home. And it's really interesting because Susan kind of suggests that she can't go home. And it's, I think it's the first time they really kind of discuss the fact that they can't go home. As far as I remember anyway, it is very much a, it's not a, oh, we're tourists. This is, no, we, we can't go home or I can't go home. And I think that's really interesting, like, that that's where that started is from this conversation, which was rewritten because William Hartnell was ill. <laughs> so it could have been a completely different conversation. Um, might have had the same kind of idea, but because it was Barbara talking to Susan, not the doctor talking to Susan, we don't know what we could have had. Um, but it was supposed to, again, be discussing, like, we need to leave or don't worry, we'll leave soon. But I wonder how that would have flipped if it had been William Russell sorry William Hartnell sorry um just talking to Susan would it be Susan telling the doctor it's okay we'll get back in the TARDIS soon and then the doctor being like you know we can't go home child you know, I, I'm curious as to how that would have played out if that rewrite had not have had to have happened because I just I, I love that sort of thing it, it excites me uh yes I, I if they'd have revealed is... something else about uh, the doctor's background at that point Yes. It's interesting. Yeah, and that's interesting, um, as I say, about the massacre, the other John Lucarotti script, because with the ending of that, where the doctor's left alone in the TARDIS and he gives that speech uh, about how nobody else understands, like he does what, you know, that, um, that the past can't be affected. And he talks about going home and he says, oh, but I can't. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's like John Lucarotti's almost kind of. Uh, injected that idea into the series and uh yeah it's interesting to think how that has um that shaped it going forward after that and um when uh when they did when town sticks and uh and everyone came up with the time lords later on you know how much of it was was influenced by that early writing mm. uh the idea is that he's a fugitive yeah Yes, so um, obviously vinyl release of Marco Polo. Mark, are you buying it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I will end up buying it. I think I've uh, <laughs> I've got I've got most of them, um, and they are absolutely gorgeous releases. They're they're so beautifully presented. Um, I think we're getting a real like with the with the Blu-ray sets and these. There's um, we're, we're kind of uh, really spoiled at the moment for the. For the, the the way that things are packaged and, and the art on, on everything is uh, particularly nice at the moment, I think. I can't warrant spending money on a vinyl when I don't even have a vinyl player. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really want to. I genuinely, if I had a vinyl player and I knew that I had the money there, then it would be like game on. 
But um, <clears throat> I've only just started buying merchandise. For example, um, it's only been the last year or so that I've actually really started buying merchandise for Doctor Who. When I say merchandise, I don't just mean like the DVDs, but I mean like actual toys. So I actually have um, the more, most recent Dalek toys uh, from Character Options, not the Mechanus ones. They are due to arrive soon, but they are the fastest pre-order I have ever done for an item Doctor Who related in my life. Um, so they're due to come to my house at some point this week. I really hope they do. Um, but yeah, it's it's lovely to have the memorabilia, but I just my my poor brain just could not um, allow myself to to uh, have um, a vinyl of something I couldn't play like. It felt very odd to me to buy something I couldn't... If, if it was, like, something like, oh, I'll just go buy a Blu-ray player because it's going to be on Blu-ray and other things I'll play on Blu-ray, fine. But with vinyl, like, unless my husband suddenly said, I want to get a vinyl collection and I've got these 30 things I really want, then I might consider it. <laughs> so I might convince him. <laughs> yeah. No, you wanted a vinyl collection. <laughs> when should we start? Um, but no, um, sadly, I don't have any intentions of getting it unless I'm a very very lucky person and I win it or um someone has one. Oh um I've just been told actually my, my Daleks have arrived. I've just been in a box. Um, nice on it. Has arrived. um oh it's exciting I had to open those later. Um ah oh, that's made my day. Uh, <laughs> but yes if um uh, if I was lucky enough to um get the uh, yeah, if I was lucky enough to win the vinyl or I was able to get one um, when I actually could actually listen to it on a vinyl player, then I probably would because it looks beautiful. It does look stunning. I'm jealous every time I see them. They're gorgeous. <clears throat> they do look wonderful. Sadly, my house is not dimensionally transcendental, so, <laughs> and I've already got so much stuff. I'm having to physically restrain myself from buying stuff. I mean, I saw a pair of gold Reeboks today, and I didn't buy them. <laughs> gold Reeboks? Gold what? Reeboks, yeah. They were in the sale as well. But I didn't buy them so because I've just got too much stuff already. So, you know, definitely getting things from Audible and uh, downloading things is a much more viable option for me at the moment. You know, obviously I make a exception for Blu-ray box sets because, you know, you have to have those. But uh, well, the beauty other things the... I, I have to think a bit more carefully about, unfortunately. The beauty of the Blu-ray box sets is they take up less space than the DVDs. So I've been... Um getting rid of the DVDs as, a, as I've got the Blu-ray sets. Um, I, did, yes. I did resist the vinyls for a long time, and it's only since we went into lockdown and I'm not spending any money on petrol that I thought, well, I would have spent that money on petrol anyway. Um, I might just uh, I might just buy some of these. Uh, so, yeah, I ended up getting the Abominable Snowman one month and then Evil of the Daleks. Uh, and then I waited a couple of months and saved it up and got the... Um, uh, the Dalek Master Plan one, so it's um, it's 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 petrol money really. So as long as lockdown lasts, um, I'll probably keep getting these uh, as long as they keep uh, keep making them. But Very cool. Those uh, those Mechanist Daleks are, are great. So if we mine arrived this morning, um, they're really really nicely done, really nicely made. I'm excited. <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> Now, my David, he likes a Dalek, but again, I think we've got 
we've got Daleks in the bedroom. We've got Daleks in the living room. I've got a Dalek on my desk in the office. It's, <laughs> we, we've got Daleks. Well, then the nice thing is, is these are actually officially from the chase, even though they are also the ones from the movie. Um, so my, my heart is full in every way because I get to reference the chase when I speak about these Daleks, but they're also they're beautiful and colourful and mo- movie-like Daleks. So I'm I'm very happy. I haven't even looked at them yet, and I know I'm going to be very happy when I look at them. <laughs> if they sit on my desk and make me happy while I work. Because <laughs> it's a, a little bit cheeky, isn't it? Because they're only in one very very brief scene of the chase. Um, so. so- it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, that's Chase Daleks. So I was like, yoink, pre-order, Chase memorabilia for me, thank you. <laughs> that's it. It's like a way of getting around not, not having the rights to do movie Daleks is they're on screen for a few seconds in the chase uh, and they've got the rights to TV Doctor Who Daleks so we can uh, we can, we can make the toys for them. But, uh, yeah, they're great. I'm, I'm really, really pleased with mine. Um, all my Doctor cool. Who stuff is, is consigned to one room of the house. It's, it's only allowed in there. I'm quite lucky. I've got a little study. Uh, one of the bedrooms is a little study, so it's um, the rest of the house can appear normal. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, all my stuff's up there. Ah, uh, well, yes, my my house doesn't really appear normal. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not by Norwegian standards, anyway. <laughs> they don't even know what Doctor Who is here. Oh, that's sad. Sad. Yeah, you should be like a missionary out there spreading the word. Well, they did show it on, because you have like a, you know, like in the States, they have BBC America, they have something called BBC Brit, and they used to show Doctor Who on BBC Brit, but they don't seem to anymore, so so there was a time when like students and things were getting into it, but you don't really see anything anymore now, sadly, but uh, yes. So any um, any any shows from over here big big over there at all? Um, well, yes. I mean, they love the historical ones and they love the crime things. They've just shown Belgravia on um, NRK, which is the main Norwegian broadcast channel. And um, yeah, you see other things cropping up all of the time. But uh, we watch a lot of um, HBO and Netflix. And HBO Nordic has had some brilliant series recently. They've done Brave New World, which I really enjoyed. And um, there's something called The Eddie, which was on Netflix, I think, which was about a Parisian jazz club, and that was really good. And we're watching Lovecraft Country at the moment. Yeah, I'm watching that. And that's excellent. Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's so weird, but it's so beautiful at the same time. Yeah. And well, I didn't realize it was based on a book. Um, our friend John Feenby said um, it's based on a book, which I hadn't realized. So um, I'll, I'll need to look out for that as well. I think. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the TV series. I think you recommended it on the last episode of the podcast as well. So I won't go on about it, but it is brilliant. Cool. Yes, and I'm also watching Mrs. America, which. Uh... Oh, yeah. It's very squir- squirmy because of the. Uh, I mean, it's got so much relevance to what's going on today. It's uh, interesting times. I've recorded all of those, but but not watched it yet. So uh, we'll we'll get to that. Kate Blanchett is absolutely astonishing. I mean, she's really really playing this 
character and you just want to give her a slap and a shake <laughs> and, but you know she wouldn't really respond too well to that no. so it's so just just say as well the um the really exciting the other really exciting news today talking about daleks is there's the announcement of the dalek animated series that's coming on youtube that's part of the huge dalek victorious event that, that's coming out and um you've written for big finish for that sophie i have yes i have written a uh, short trip for the delgado master brilliant um which will be out on the 7th of october for the tlb project so that's uh, so exciting um i am terrified nervous <laughs> excited nervous terrified excited all kind of bundled into everything um i'm looking forward to hearing people think i also want to know how it ties into everything else because as i've told everyone else i don't know um i i literally know as much as everyone else does <laughs> um this my story is a small piece of a very big puzzle um so i think that's part of the exciting thing is a lot of the media is standalone so you don't have to listen to everything if you don't want to or read everything um and I think that's something that will be exciting when 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 like things start coming out like the books and the audios and things like that. It'll start to be more apparent that it is standalone media, but tied into one event. Um, so fingers crossed, <laughs> people will like it. We'll find Sounds out. Brilliant. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, my story is called Master Thief. And um, my script editor and co-writer who wrote the other story in the set for the short trips um, is Simon Gurria. And he wrote, gosh, what is it called? I'm going to get, oh, Lesser Evils. So Lesser Evils is his one and Master Thief is my one. So he wrote for the Ainley Doctor and I wrote for the Delgado. Uh, Ainley Doctor? Ainley Master. Sorry, that, that was weird. <laughs> Ainley Master and then the Delgado Master. So it'd be really exciting. And John Coleshaw has... Um, been our narrator our glorious narrator for this so um very excited to hear his impressions and see what he makes of um makes of our prose basically because uh, at the end of the day they're they're going to make magic with it um we, we wrote it in isolation and uh just like trying to get words down hoping we're telling the best story we can when when it gets put into audio it becomes something newer and alive and that's what i kind of love about the short trips in particular is yeah, usually narrated beautifully regardless of who's doing it because it's always well directed and produced so very excited to hear what they do wonderful Brilliant. congratulations thank you thank you very much yeah congratulations I've, I've pre-ordered the whole bundle of um tlv big finish stuff i'm i'm uh, yeah i can't wait I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited for it it feels almost like getting another um series this year um, with, yeah. with all the different stuff that's coming out over the different the different media because you've got the uh, there's, there's the two books there's two uh, separate comic stories as well isn't there there's the big finish the vinyls um, the obviously the Dalek cartoon series and um, short stories by James Goss I think as well isn't it so uh, yeah it's um, yeah short stories there's, there's so much you check out the website for Time of Victorious mm. they show all the timelines they show all the release dates they show exactly what you're looking for um, yeah it's going to be good it's going to be good 
I guarantee it's going to be good. I think people are nervous because there's a lot of media and they kind of don't know where to begin. But I think it'll be much easier once we're getting closer to like October, get to October and like November and things will be out and it'll be kind of easier to kind of see how things tie together. And I think it's going to be good. Really, really good. But people can just dive in anywhere. Well, that's what that's what I'm under the impression. That's that's what you do. If you uh, the thing is, it's time travel based, right? Doctor mm. Who. So you should be able to dive into anything, and then because they're all standalone stories. Um, I think the only thing that is slightly different is that the novels correlate. So I think if you, uh, I think all flesh and all flesh is grass, and the night and the fall. I can't remember the names of the novels that Una and Steve have written, but they, I think they, they relate. But if you're reading the novels anyway, you would know that because you would read the first one, then you'd read the second one, just like you would of any kind of series. Um, so because they're released in that order. So as far as I'm aware, there's the reason why they've been released in that order. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be great. I'm very excited. Yeah, me Sounds too. really good. Great. And we'll be um, planning on talking about some of that on the podcast. So, so stay tuned. Um, thank you very much both for joining me it's been great chatting to you about this story tonight thanks for having me back again Mark always lovely and great to meet you Sophie well thank you it's been a pleasure to talk about Marco Polo with some lovely people this evening thank you I will (laughs) I'll put links in the show notes to the um, the Josh Snares um, productions that you mentioned um, and to the Big Finish website where you can find um Sophie's short trips and the other time Lord Victoria stuff and just where we can find you guys on Twitter and your website Sophie fantastic thank you so much thank you thanks for listening see you next time goodbye (laughs) 